on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, August 26, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And, well, there's been a lot of news in the markets with the trade war, uh, with a lot of economic news. Obviously, we have the Democratic primary battle going on that I think will uh, will be more and more talked about, more and more discussed over the next six months because I think it's going to have a big implication for where policy goes post-2020. I think that'll be interesting as well. And there are many variables at play in today's market. So you are here for unbiased guidance and I'm going to give it to you. I'm Justin Klein and I hope you will Give me a call with your investing questions when and if you make time to call, that's when you get to take charge of the show and shape it to your advantage. And remember, our goal each and every day on Invest Talk is to help you take your next step in your own path towards financial freedom. And we do this with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, right? We're not CNBC. So if you think you're going to get some CNBC-like show here, you're looking at the wrong place. Now today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you along the path to your own version of financial freedom one step at a time. And in order for me to do that even better, you need to give me a call. 800-557-5461. 888-99-CHART is the number. I have a quick programming note here in just three days. On this Thursday, I will be welcoming a returning guest expert to talk about real estate. His name is Chevy Axon, and Chevy is a leading real estate professional. He has served in a capacity as investor, advisor, and agent, and he currently owns properties all over the country, including both long and short-term rentals. He's flipped properties. He has a wealth of information and firsthand experience, and I think it's going to be a great show and a great interview, and just touch on what's happening in the market today, where the opportunities are, where maybe you want to watch out for uh, in the real estate market. Remember, that's this Thursday. And you can call in live and ask your questions as well. So tell your friends. Now, my main talking point today concerns the headline, Google's giant leap into video game streaming could disrupt the $135 billion industry. And we're going to talk about that and how that this, this could be the first big launch that will revolutionize how gaming is delivered in the future and in the now. We're going to touch on that as well. It's their Stadia, is what they're calling it. The Stadia is going to be like the Netflix for games. And we're going to touch on that. It's launching in November in 14 different countries. 14 different countries. Now we're going to talk about that. But also, the IMF chief, Gita? Gita? I, I can't pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce her, her first name. Her last name, I believe, is. Gopinath, I'm not sure how to really pronounce it, but she is the chief economist at the IMF, and she had some interesting words about the global economy, and we're going to discuss that as well. There was also a hard-hitting piece in Vanity Fair 
published yesterday uh, uh, on Elon Musk, and the title is, I can't read the full title, but I'll say, he's full of ship high in transit, how Elon Musk fooled investors, built taxpayers, and gambled Tesla to save Solar City. And I want to touch on that a little bit because it's uh, one of the biggest pieces that really just sheds light on the scam empire that is that Elon Musk has really built. So I think it's uh, going to be an interesting topic to discuss. And then lastly, as I've said many times, 10,000 baby boomers retire each and every day, and a lot of them are not prepared for retirement. And therefore, their children are going to have to take care of them in some instances. Hopefully, that's not you on either side of the of, of the uh, the ledger there. But it's going to happen to some people. And there's actually some tax breaks. And we're going to talk, talk about that as well if we have time. So that's what's on my agenda for the show today. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's check in the market. The market was up after a very red open in on the futures last night on a potential escalation of trade or tariffs on China, right? Uh, Trump said he's going to move it from 10% to 15% on certain goods starting September 1st, and the market did not like that. But just before the market opened, I think it was actually before the European Open, uh, there was a discussion, I believe it was a live stream from the G7 summit, and Trump basically said that they're going to restart uh, negotiations, Trump or China wants to come back to the table, and more optimism uh, on a trade war, or a trade deal, shall we say. And it could happen, certainly could happen. He's talked about having second thoughts of, of his strategy, and hopefully he does. Hopefully he does have second thoughts, because I think it's clear by now that his strategy is not working. I discussed uh, two weeks ago about how our exports to China are down 21% over the last year since the start of the trade war. Imports from China are up 1%, so our balance of trade has not improved at all with China. It's gotten much, much worse. And so all he's doing is double down, doubling down on a strategy that hasn't worked thus far. And I don't really think it's going to work. I think the best strategy is pivoting towards having better relations with other countries that are playing by the rules, are playing by the rules that, that we feel are, are fair. And, and I think it's fair to say China's not playing by the rules, but their strategy or Trump's strategy so far clearly is not working. So there needs to be a pivot, a pivot to come up with some t- sort of a deal, right? Think of USMCA. USMCA is very, very similar to NAFTA. It's not that much different. There's about a half dozen con- concessions that China or, uh, that Mexico and Canada made, and it's slightly better for the United States, but it's basically the same deal. I think he's going to need to do something like that with China so he can say that he's won something for the American people, and I think he can do that. I think he can come to some deal that is actually beneficial for America in the long run because China doesn't want to go through this, but also China has infinite time. They think in decades, not four-year terms like our presidents think of, right? So Trump has finite amount of time, and China has infinite amount of time. And if you understand game theory, you'll know that almost every time the infinite player who, have in, who has infinite time, infinite resources, 
beats the player that has finite time and finite resources. And that's what the U.S. is. The U.S. is the finite player. China is the infinite player. So any deal that Trump can get to make some sort of positive step in trade long-term with China, I think is what he's going to have to come out with because he's not going to get major, major concessions simply because he lacks the time and the willingness to wait it out. And China doesn't. They have plenty of time and they can wait it out. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And while no one has been ever been able to reliably predict market movements, you know, think of last night. Market was down huge. Now nah, ended up decent. Okay. So market volatility happens oftentimes when you least expect it. So you need to make sure your portfolio is strategically balanced based on your needs and goals. You can meet with myself or Steve. We can help you out. You can contact our KPP office in Irvine, California. And due to strong demand, Steve's upcoming August and September portfolio review consultation dates are mostly filled. I believe he has one or two appointments left this Thursday in San Jose. So if you want to book that, go to investtalk.com, click on contact us or our portfolio review, and you can schedule your time. He will also be in San Jose again, October 10th, and New York City again, November 7th after his September date. So to reserve your spot once again for complimentary portfolio review consultations, just register at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. Summer is moving fast and your path to financial freedom begins with the right strategy. You've got questions, Steve and Justin have answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in New York. He's looking at B&G Foods. Hey, how are we doing tonight? Doing well. What can I do for you? So I've held this position for a couple of years now, and I've lost 50% of my initial investment. So the only yeah. reason that I feel that I would continue to hold this would be for the dividend. Otherwise, it really serves no purpose for me. I mean, I don't know. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel where this may rise up again, but it's been nothing but a loss for me since I've had it. I was thinking about maybe getting rid of it at the end of the year when I um, do my uh, losses for the end of the year. I just want to see what you thought. Well, this is uh, B&G Foods. They manufacture shelf-stable food products such as jellies, hot sauces sold in the U.S. and Canada. And this has been a loser for uh, some of our, us and some of our clients as well, probably one of our, our worst positions. Uh, and, you know, we do think it's a very strong long-term value. They have a strong management team that knows how to buy brands cheap, uh, put them in their pipeline, and grow them and grow their profitability and efficiency pay down the debt that they, that they use to buy the acquisition, and they have a strong history of, of accomplishing that. In fact, they just recently sold a brand to Hershey for something like six or seven times what they paid for it just uh, five years ago. So it's, it's, a, it's a company that knows, or leadership knows what they're doing. Uh, the big issue here is a small cap name. It's not a growth name. You know, their, their revenues are kind of flatlining over the past year or so, and that's really where you're at. You know, they just sold off a, a, a pretty big business, like I said, to Hershey 
So it's one of those names that you're going to have to have patience with. Um, we've recently lost patience with it and moved on from it. Um, but I still think three years from now, five years from now, this is a name that with the, the once the narrative changes, maybe they uh, have a brand that hits better, maybe they make a better acquisition, uh, maybe they just stop uh, bleeding sales. Uh, you know, which not bleeding a lot, just one or two percent a, a year, but they're they're bleeding sales, and everyone's after growth names. So you're you're just like any deep value play, you're gonna have to see sentiment turn around, and sentiment just simply hasn't turned around. So it's really uh, up to you whether you're willing to wait for that, because I, I do think the management long term will bring substantial value to shareholders. It's just like I said, uh, any deep value play, it's just about that sentiment turning. Thanks for the call, James. Now let's take a quick look at some key benchmark numbers. And again, today, the two-year two and 10-year treasury rates seesawed back and forth between an inverted yield curve and a flat yield curve. At one point, two-year treasury was at 1.5%, 10-year was at 1.53%, an upward sloping trend uh, yield curve. And as it got as low as 1.44%, which made it inverted. So kind of flip-flop back and forth. A 30-year treasury at 2.02%. Gold at 15.40 an ounce continues its upward march and just is a beast. You know, in this environment where global economies are slowing, where central banks are likely to do more to stimulate economies, not less, when the dollar is more likely to eventually reverse slower versus continue higher, uh, you know, the, the gold simply... It's just a monster right now. Uh, and I think, continue to think on any pullbacks, you need to be adding it to your portfolio. Bitcoin at 10,300 per coin continues to consolidate right around this 10,000 mark. As long as it stays above 9,000, it's consolidating bullishly. If it breaks 9,000 in any significant way, I could see Bitcoin back to 3,000 rather quickly. Now, oil at $55 a barrel up slightly as well on positive expectations of a deal with China. So those are kind of the big market numbers that came out today. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein and let me remind you that our Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replay provides a daily dose of market news with our unbiased commentary and we have a fairly new offering. It's called Invest Talk Academy. It's an online trading class covering a wide variety of financial and investment investment subjects in depth. You can learn more at investtalkacademy.com. Now we're heading into a break and we have about 35 minutes left. So the hour is going to go by quickly. Give us a call right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, And in just three days, this Thursday, August 29th, Justin will be welcoming a returning guest expert to talk about real estate. His name is Chevy Ackeson, and Chevy is a leading real estate professional. So get your questions ready. Chevy Ackeson will be here Thursday. And now Justin Klein is here live taking your calls, 888-99-CHART. Now, my main talking point today concerns the news that Google Stadia is about to launch. It's their cloud-based video game streaming platform. 
It's launching in November in 14 different countries, and currently the video game industry generates sales of about $135 billion in 2018, and it's predicted to top $300 billion by 2025. And, you know, searching the internet was an entirely different experience before Google created things like autocomplete, right? It came out with Google Translate. Uh, the Chrome browser changed the way we navigate uh, the web and how different uh, our websites we visit, integrate, etc. How Google Fiber prompted other internet providers, providers to increase the speed of their offering. So Google tends to push the envelope in a lot of different industries and this is no different. And what this promises is access to streaming games from any mobile device. And you can use a TV, a PC, a laptop, a phone, a tablet, without worrying about buying the latest and greatest processor, graphic card, console, etc. So rather than buying a game at a retail store or on Amazon, or downloading it directly onto a console, players will bypass all that. Okay? They'll bypass all of that and... It'll be like a Netflix-type service. Now, they're putting billions of dollars in building out this type of a network, and there's actually going to be two different tiers for Stadia. It'll be Stadia Base, and you can stream at 1080p, 60 frames per second with stereo sound. Or, if you want all the bells and whistles, you want 4K, you want 5.1 surround sound, and access to Stadia's free gaming library, users will pay $10 a month for Stadia Pro. Now the biggest worry is that these games won't be as responsive as something that's played on an Xbox or a PlayStation 4, right? And this is not uncommon. The old generation tends to argue that any new innovation isn't going to be as good or there are going to be problems, right? So this isn't something that is unheard of. There's always going to be people throwing shots. And I think it just means that there's going to be hiccups. It's true. There will be hiccups. It won't be as good on launch as it is three or four years from now. They'll learn. They'll improve infrastructure. They'll figure out what games work, what games don't, how to improve the games that don't. And what I think of how this is going to transform the industry is going to be a lot like Spotify, a lot like Netflix, to where those who have the, the users, right, because they're not the only ones coming out with this, right? PlayStation has PlayStation Now. Um, what else? I think Microsoft is coming out with one. Apple is. Apple's launching a $4.99 uh, you know, on your iPhone or on your iPad service. So they're not the only players, okay? But what I think is going to suck a lot of the profit away from the video game producers and into these type of platforms, those that own the platform, own the distribution. Because in business, distribution is gigantic. When you have a large install base, you can do a lot with that. It finances a lot of marketing, spending on uh, on content, and in this case, the content is games. So 
it's going to definitely change the industry. So a lot of the electronic arts of the world, they're not going to have the same type of revenue streams like they did five years ago, even today. 10 years from now, their business is going to look a lot different. The big question is, is it going to be more profitable or less profitable? And that will be a very interesting thing to see evolve over time. And this is the start of Netflix being the standard. You know, we talk about streaming services for video of all different types. That's going to be the standard in the video game industry and you need to be ready for it and understand what companies to invest in and watch how the profitability flows within the industry over the next 5, 10 years because that'll set up the industry, I think, for the next 30, 40 years. Okay? Now let's grab a call- caller question that came in earlier at 888-99. Oh, we have no time. I guess we're going to a break. We're going to get to that caller question after the break. You're listening to Invest Talk. We have about 25 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it sooner rather than later. Now on tomorrow's Invest Talk, Wells Fargo analysts do not see a holly jolly holiday shopping season for retailers. The prediction is that a warmer winter season, shorter holiday calendar, reduced tourism, and higher inventory levels could hurt fourth quarter retail sales. That story coming up tomorrow that Steve will touch on. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Overall, I feel pretty good about our investment decisions. But there are times I wonder if our current 401k plan could be doing better. I mean, which funds are the right funds for me? For us. You're listening to someone who could benefit from KPP Financial's active 401k program. I can't spend all my time following the market, and I'm sure it would certainly be a big help to receive advice based on real data from unbiased advisors. The active 401k program features math-based models to guide you in and out of the various investment options in your plan. KPP monitors and advises. You take action with the active 401k program. KPP clients immediately see current investment recommendations configured to match their personal plan preferences. Active 401k. Okay. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. The great thing about achieving financial freedom, you can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. And here's more good news. KPP clients who are active 401k subscribers will receive a complimentary subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Each Friday, Steve Peasley writes a market action and trend newsletter that serves as a quick summary of the week that was. It also includes stock ideas, portfolio management information, and consumer finance tips. So enroll in the Active 401k program and also get the KPP Premium Newsletter. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. This is Invest Talk, and August is moving fast. In just three days, Steve Peasley will be meeting with listeners in San Jose to show them how they could improve the performance of their portfolios. Steve's personalized consultations are offered at no cost. There may still be one or two appointments left for this Thursday. And due to strong demand, Steve will be returning to San Jose October 10th and New York City on November 7th. Register now at investtalk.com. 
The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin invite your questions now. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Colin from Chicago. I just had a quick question regarding our housing market. I saw that the Trump administration came out and said that they eventually want to release Fannie and Freddie from conservatorship and returning them to the private sector. Just about to see one of your guys' thoughts on uh, basically the general impact that that could have and how it will affect the housing market. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, I think it's going to negatively affect the housing market longer term. Now, in the, in the near term, as long as housing stays up, I think credit will continue to flow. But without the backing of government, I could easily see the demand or the sorry the supply of financing of housing ebbing and flowing a lot more. Whereas if it's constantly backed by a government promise, a government guarantee, there's there's always incentive for new loans to be written, right? Because there's there's fees involved and there's very little risk that there will be default or that anybody in the private sector will take the brunt of any default, right? And you saw that with 2008 and the bailout of Fannie and Freddie. And I think that's simply simply the case. So long-term, I think it's definitely negative for the housing market. Now, is it healthier for uh, our financial system? I absolutely think it is. I think anything uh, in the lending space that has uh, an inherent government guarantee, whether that's, uh, you see that with student loans, you see that here with housing, anything that has that, it's ripe for bad lending, bad practices, bad actors taking advantage of a system that the risk is involved, is taken by the government versus private citizens who have to price these things out and there needs to be some underwriting standards and, and somebody's going to take the pain when it, things go bad. Whereas now Fannie and Freddie or Sally Mae when it comes to student loans, it's really the government that has to step in and backstop these loans and nobody in the private sector really cares. They don't care. They just want their fees, their interest, etc. And I think it's better overall, better for our financial system but it will give more ebbs and flows of financing for the housing market overall. So that's my take on that. Will it actually happen? I don't know. I don't really honestly know too much about the complexities of the Fannie and Freddie system and whether it's, it actually will get privatized. It probably should, like I said, for the health. Um, but it's been rumored for a long time, still hasn't happened, so I'm a little skeptical that it eventually will. Thanks for the call. Great question. And we have about 20 minutes left in the show, so give me a call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now I'm going to highlight a an article in Vanity Fair, and I'm only going to touch on the first quarter of the article because it's, it's kind of a four-part article just published, like I said yesterday, online, going to be in the October edition of Vanity Fair, and the title is, He's Full of Ship High in Transit. How Elon Musk fooled investors, built taxpayers, and gambled Tesla to save Solar City. Now, the first part of it highlights a, a man named Dennis Scott. He is a veteran, and he was laid off from Tesla's factory in Buffalo two months earlier as part of a global reduction in the company's workforce. And when he did, he took to social media and he kind of said some bad things about Elon, called him a clown on social media. 
He said, if I were CEO and someone told me my company wasn't working right, I would be clowning. I wouldn't be clowning around. I've got people counting on me for their livelihood. So he didn't like some of the activity that Elon had online, and he basically called him out on it. And what did Elon do? Well, he called him up. Elon called up uh, this guy named Scott and just asked them a few questions. And Scott kept asking, when are you going to fix your company? He said, you took $750 million from the state of New York in subsidies, which he did. And you gave us hope that you were going to do something. That's what he told Elon. And basically, he was unimpressed by Elon's response. He said, Musk is a nice guy when you talk to him, but I think he's full of S. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He'll tell you whatever you want to hear. And the background is Tesla bought Solar City in 2016 for $5 billion. It was basically a bailout of a poorly run company run by his family members. Elon was, a ch- was on the board. Maybe he was chairman of the board. I know he was at least on the board. The largest shareholder, etc. And in true Musk hyperbole, he said he was going to turn the plant in Buffalo, New York into what was billed as the largest manufacturing facility of its kind in the Western Hemisphere. They said Solar City would build 10,000 solar panels per day and install them on homes and businesses across the country. They create 5,000 jobs in that area and one, in one of the poorest cities in the country. So he promised a lot as usual. And after three years, three years since uh, Tesla bought Solar City, none of those promises, almost none of those promises have been fulfilled. And now they're in a costly lawsuit with Walmart. They're suing them for breach of contract due to years of gross negligence, claiming that seven of the solar panels that they installed on Walmart roofs caught fire, causing millions of dollars in damages. And now they're suing to basically say, hey, take all of these off of our roofs. The 240 Walmart stores that were installed on, we want you to uninstall them on every single one. Now, a former employee also pretty spoke out pretty uh, spoke out against him, <laughs> and he said the guy has a will to make stuff happen that is extraordinary. He willed Tesla to happen, and in willing a reality into existence, he might not stick to the facts. And this whole Solar City debacle really is going to bring down his empire. It's pretty interesting. Now, the reason he was bailed out because he didn't want this as a tarnish to his name that that he was Solar City was part of his empire. And if it was to go bankrupt, then it would have taken down or, or been been a big chunk of doubt into his armor, right? Because if Solar City didn't survive, could Tesla survive? Could SpaceX survive? Could Boring Company survive is that the first of all of them going down so he bailed it out with tesla his biggest and basically brightest and is going to take down his empire not just the fact that you have this lawsuit from walmart but also from the debt that he assumed billions of dollars in debt a lot of that that's coming due or has been coming due and he's had to issue more shares of tesla in order to pay down that debt Let's go to Al in Virginia. He wants to talk about dividends. 
Hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. I'm trying to uh, understand basically the uh, the engine behind dividends. And let me let me set up my question here. Say you have a stock that trades at ten dollars, and let's say it pays a five percent to make it easy annual dividend. And uh, let's say that the projected earnings. Uh, of that stock is the same as this year. So there's really no reason for that stock to go up or down. And let's also say that the uh, we isolate external market forces, so that means no tweets for a year. So as I understand dividends, on on the um, ex-dividend day, you know, it was trading at $10 the day before. On ex-dividend day, it's going to trade at 950 and, uh, you know, assuming with all of the assumptions that we just made, uh, you know, projected earnings, no external market effects, technically that stock should stay at 950. So I'm trying to understand why should I expect that stock to go back up to $10? What is the driving force for that? And if the answer is no, well, it should stay at 950, then technically, I didn't get a 5% yield. I just cashed out. It would be similar to me selling uh, 5% of my holdings, you know, at 10 and, and have it stay at 10. So I'm trying to understand what, what is that driving force that raises the stock back up to 10 and thus turns into a 5% yield? Sorry for the long question, I'll, but this is something that's been no. It's actually uh, it's actually a great question. I I like I like the question, and the basically driving force is earnings, right? So if that company didn't have any earnings, right, it, it was paying that fifty cents out of cash on its balance sheet, shall we say? Then yeah, there's really no reason for that stock to continue to rise over time. But if it's actually earning profits for shareholders, technically those profits should eventually get down to the return on equity metric of the balance sheet. And that is effectively the return that you as the shareholder should get. So it should rise over time. Now, if that dividend isn't covered by earnings, then yes, there is likely going to be just simply a reduction in the total assets and total net asset value of the company as a whole. But as long as that com- that, that dividend is covered by earnings and then some, the stock should eventually replace. So you should replace that amount of dividends that are paid out to the shareholders. Okay, So it's really about effectively how much earnings do they have in relation to that dividend. And that's why we talk about dividend coverage ratios, you know, payout ratios, cash dividend payout ratios, etc. Because you want to own a company that has cash flow and earnings that exceed the level of dividend that they're paying out and likely growing those as well and thus will eventually be able to increase the dividend in conjunction with the increase in cash flows and earnings. Does that all make sense, Al? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that does. But So here's, if I can ask a follow-up question related, I've seen certain stocks on ex-dividend day. So again, let's go back to our simple example. On ex-dividend day, I have seen stocks where 
uh, instead of going down to 950, it'll go beyond that. It'll go down maybe down to 925, whereas the rest of the market is, let's say, not doing anything one way or the other. So in those cases, I've wondered if if it's if what you said holds true all in all cases, you wouldn't expect that stock to go below the 950 rate. And in fact, if this is one of your core holdings and you have one of those stocks, you'd almost be better off to sell the day before ex-dividend day and then buy back in on ex-dividend day at that lower price. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're obviously correct if it continues below that 950 level. And, you know, there could be other external factors like uh, the industry that it's in, uh, maybe just the, the type of stock it is, a growth stock versus maybe a value stock, probably a value stock considering it's paying a dividend. Uh, so those, uh, th there are other uh, factors as well. But yes, you, you certainly wouldn't want companies that are consistently uh, underperforming uh, its, uh, its benchmark, its, its sector, uh, etc. Over certain periods, short periods of time, any stock, any sector can outperform others within that, uh, that in, the, in the market. So uh, to look at some short-term, you know, one-month, two-month type of thing, that, that doesn't make sense. But what you want to look at are the fundamentals and the cash flows. Understand if those are increasing or their levels are strong in relation to the value that it's trading in the marketplace, then it can you know make sense to hold it. But um, I like your, your observation. I like the way you're thinking. Um, but do understand that dividends over time, I think the best value dividends have is, is the the ability to check the management of the company. Because oftentimes when companies are doing really well, they have strong cash flows, what do they do? The, the, the big uh, CEOs, they want to go out and buy another company because they get to uh, own a different, uh, a larger swath of uh, sales and they're just wielding a bigger sword, right? Because now they own a lot of different brands, a lot of different assets and their empire building is what they call it. And so when you pay out dividends, that limits your resources to make bad acquisitions. You're more apt to stick with your core strategy instead of venturing out and maybe overpaying for a competitor. And so that's the best part of what a dividend to me does for shareholders is give the discipline to the CEO, to management. Uh, and, and actually the studies have shown that, that companies that pay out dividends tend to... Uh, engage in less empire building and they pay less for acquisitions and thus long term is better for shareholders. So thanks for the call Al and great questions and great observation and you definitely want to be thinking about these things when you're looking at dividend payers. So thanks for the call. And we have about 10 minutes left in the show so if you're going to call you want to do it sooner rather than later. Now after the break I'm going to touch on some quotes from IMF chief economist at the IMF about the global economy, what she's saying, what she's seeing on the trade front, on the uh, growth of the economy, etc., on a global perspective, because that's really what the IMF is worried about. It's worried about the global economy, not just the United States, not just the United States, but the global economy, and that's what's most important, really, for the markets as a whole, because. Today's world with globalization, with uh, large multinational companies dominating the indexes, how the 
global economy grows is far more important than how our domestic economy grows. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here and to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, analysts for Wells Fargo Bank do not see a holly jolly holiday shopping season ahead for retailers. Their prediction highlights several factors. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, this is Paul in Raleigh, North Carolina. Love the show, listen via the podcast. Question is, SMG, Scott's Miracle Grow, climbed up pretty high now. I got out a little bit too early, but I still made some profit. Wondered at what price point you would recommend getting back in. Thanks for the advice. And uh, again, love the show. Take care, guys. All right. He's looking at Scott's Miracle Grow. They manufacture lawn and garden products, including fertilizers, plant food, and growing media control products, looks like. Basically, they make all the things that are needed to grow plants. And they're doing very well because of the cannabis industry. And they were uh, doing very well up until uh, the middle part of last year. And sales actually fell in the second quarter of 2018 by about 7%, which was interesting. But have basically been accelerating since then. And now earnings last quarter were up 16% after kind of struggling for uh, a year or so. So that's pretty interesting that last quarter they were up 16% year over year. And that's driven the stock from a 52-week low of 57.96. And all the way to a high of 114.63. So in a year, it doubled, and now we've given back a little bit, uh, about 8.4% below that all-time high uh, at 105 to close today. Modest pullback here, uh, but I could see this going a little deeper. The technicals are looking like they're going to weaken here. Uh, and let me go to a weekly chart because after you've had such a strong move, you had a big reversal last week that is telling me this probably wants to go a decent amount lower. I think at the, the high 80s around the 90 level, that's where you're going to find major support. You have the 100-week moving average. You have a consolidation area from back last year where this broke strongly above. Uh, this is also where it kind of break out, broke out recently in April-May time frame. So I think that's an area that I'd be picking up Scott's Miracle because I do kind of like it. I like the secular tailwinds behind this name. Uh, there's the, a large market and a large grab, uh, you know, a large rush to grab the profits from the cannabis industry, whether that's CBD or whether that's the THC side, and that's only likely to continue uh, as long as. Money remains cheap, and the more governments are legalizing cannabis in some way, and CBD has become more ubiquitous in a lot of healthcare products of all different types, and that's going to mean a lot more growing of hemp and a lot of other types of uh, of plants that contain CBD. So not a shock here, and I like the secular tailwinds, but I would wait for a larger pullback into that 90 area. That's where I'd pick it up. That was Scott's Miracle Grow. SMG is the symbol. Right now trading for 105 a share. 8899 chart, 8892-4278. Let's close 
with a quote from chief economist of the IMF, Gita Gopinath. Uh, that's, I believe that's how you say it, but she's basically saying as the year is progressing, it's getting harder to find those bright spots. So she's more down on the prospects for the global economy. And her comments come as economic growth overseas has slowed. You've seen German manufacturing sector contract. Remember, Germany is the third largest economy in the world. China, the second largest economy in the world, is growing at its slowest pace in 27 years last quarter, which shouldn't really surprise anybody since we're in the midst of a trade war. And she says, global growth is subdued and we describe it as fragile and there are many downside risks. And one of the risks we keep flagging is the risk on the trade front. So she's clearly seeing problems uh, with the trade on the trade front, not just with America and China, but as well as a lot of other countries that are being dragged into this fight. In some ways, you're seeing tension between the United States and many European partners, right? Because uh, China's pulled out uh, of certain deals and 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 just not been friendly to a lot of the other countries, a lot of our allies in Europe when it comes to trade because Trump is a protectionist. And this isn't rare in today's world. It's not like we're the only ones being protectionists. There are a lot of other countries in the world that have populist leaders that are turning more inward as opposed to outward to create economic growth. And I don't think that's very positive for global growth as a whole. And neither does the chief economist of the IMF. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Steve will be here and I return on Thursday with my special guest, real estate expert Chevy Ackeson. Get your questions ready. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 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 888-99-C